Good morning, Veritas. How are we doing this morning? All right. My name's Ryan Hamby. I uh, get to lead the college ministry around here that's called The Salt Company, and I am honored and uh, privileged to be up here this morning. I'm really excited to, to bring the word. We're still going through 2 Timothy, uh, and we're in chapter 3 this morning. So if you would open your Bibles to that, um, you're going to see right off the bat, uh, whether you have a CSV, ESV, anything, that the title of the title given to this passage um, kind of sets a tone for what Paul has to say for us this morning, okay? And if you have the CSB, it says something like this, difficult times ahead. Difficult times ahead is the heading this morning, guys. So hopefully this will not be too difficult of a sermon or too difficult to listen to, but that is exactly the kind of content we're going to be diving into. The very first verse of 2 Timothy 3 says this, know this, hard times will come in the last days. Know this, hard times will come in the last days. And if Timothy is reading this from Paul, he wouldn't be surprised to hear that. No, he wouldn't be surprised at all because Paul's in prison writing this, right? He's nearing the end of his life. He's on his way to being beheaded for what he is preaching and believing about Jesus. Paul isn't writing this like a, like a journal entry, like extrapolating his feelings to Timothy and to us, just telling him how hard his life is, like complaining about all the persecution. No, he's writing a warning, a warning for the church. In the last days, which is anyone who is waiting on Jesus's final return. And so Veritas, that's us today, living in these last days. And Paul has something very important to say to us. Okay, and if we've learned anything so far, if you've been with us the past uh, couple months going through 2 Timothy, it's that the Christian life was never meant to be easy. Right? I think that's like a misconception a lot of us have. Like, when I come to Jesus, when I start like, you know, coming to church and doing all these Christian things, my life is going to get a lot easier. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. Guys, we follow a falsely accused, betrayed man of sorrows who was killed on a Roman cross for what he preached and who he was. Paul knows this as well as anyone. He needs Timothy, this young pastor, to know this as well. And so as Timothy reads this, as we study this, by God's grace, guys, even this morning, we, Veritas, will grow in courage. Not that we would just be comforted and insulated from the difficulty of this life and this world, but that we wouldn't cower at the hard times. Maybe we'd find hope in the midst of hard times. Church, what Paul needs us to know today is very, very simple. It's very to the point, and this is our big idea, guys. Hard times are upon us. Hard times are upon us. Dot, dot, dot. Leave a little blank after that because that's not a complete big idea, but it's at least where we're starting this morning. It's at least what Paul needs us to know right now, that hard times are upon us. And we are confronted with this hard truth today. This is what we're going to see. We're going to see that hard times will be full of sin. Second, we'll see that hard times call for true power. And finally, the triumphant end, hard times will soon meet their end. Okay, so let's jump in together to 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to read the first five verses for us. But know this. Hard times will come in the last days. Four, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, 
disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Fun passage, huh? This is going to be a good one. Uh, it's a very long laundry list of sins here, but there's something very, very interesting about what we just read, guys. Um, being a man awaiting his execution, we're not, like, we're not surprised Paul is talking about the hard times at hand, obviously. But if you notice, he doesn't call out Nero. He doesn't call out the people of Rome. He doesn't call out the people who imprisoned him. We're going to lead him to his execution. He calls out the false teachers. That's who he's talking about here that we're going to see later, specifically false teachers in the church. Paul says hard times are coming for, you see that word for, or the reason being the power of sin is everywhere. The hard times are coming because the power of sin is everywhere. He seems very concerned with sin, running rampant in the church and going unnoticed. What do I mean? Well, after the laundry list of sin, verse 5 kind of gives us a surprising ending to his list, right? He says, uh, these people are deeply sick with sin. Look at this long list. It takes forever to read. And yet they were holding to the form of godliness. That's scary. We read this laundry list and think that the only place we would see a person like this is behind bars. Like, it's obvious. Like, if somebody is actually this wicked, this bad, like, brutal, like, so many things, we'd be able to spot them a mile away. But what's true and what is happening is we are more likely to celebrate them. Praise them, even be taught by them, follow them. In fact, their outward behavior might even be better than ours. They might be moral examples. We might want to emulate and be like them. And if you look closely at this list, which I know we all want to do again and again, right? We notice something very, very central about sin, the nature of sin, right? It's not like all these people are saying naughty words or they're telling little white and uh, whatever. No, they're lovers of self. They're lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sin is at its core a heart issue. Not just a behavior problem, but down to the very core of the affections of men and women, a heart issue. The reason these sins could go unnoticed is the same reason they're so seriously dangerous. These are hearts that are sick to the very core, preferring to love sin rather than loving God. And in these hard times, like Timothy's day, even those who teach us could be full of sin like this. Okay, Paul is making us ask the question, what comes out when you squeeze the toothpaste? You guys have heard that phrase before, like you never know what's in the toothpaste until you give it a nice squeeze. It's a nice little metaphor. I remember one time when I was seven or eight, maybe six. It's probably a better story if I say I'm younger. I don't really remember. I remember learning that the really, really hard way. I don't know if I could read yet. That's why it's probably better to say I was younger. Ten-year-old who couldn't read. But uh, I remember being on vacation in North Carolina, going to brush my teeth. 
grabbing the toothpaste bottle, squeezing it out, looked a little funky, but whatever, brushing my teeth, smiling in the mirror and see my teeth were like brown. And I was very, very confused. And I walked out to where my family was with like my teeth covered in brown foam and holding up the toothpaste bottle. I said, guys, this tastes terrible. What is this? And like, oh my gosh, little Ryan just used hemorrhoid ointment to brush his teeth. I didn't know what hemorrhoids were. All I knew was it tasted bad and it turned my teeth brown. We never know what's in the toothpaste bottle until it's squeezed. And it's not a matter of will the church be squeezed, right? It's a matter of what will come out when we are squeezed. Like hard times are made to squeeze us, but what will come out? Will it be godliness or will it be sin? What's written on the cover, what the toothpaste bottle looks like doesn't matter at all. It's what comes out when we are squeezed. And the application of how to deal with a false teacher, right? Paul makes it very, very clear. The application of somebody who has everything put together on the outside, but is full of lies and sin, it's very simply says avoid these people. Avoid these people, which I don't think means to shut out every single sinner who struggles with sin, but specifically these teachers. We need to be a people, Veritas, who hate this list of sins. We need to be people who love our God and be a people who test our teachers. We first read this and we have to let it cut to our own heart. Why? Because honestly, like when I'm reading it, it kind of hurts. Because I see like parts of myself in this list. Like I'm like, I'm remembering like hard memories of, oh my goodness, I was defined by these things. I struggle with these things. It needs to work like a mirror, exposing what's deeply true about us. And for the Christian, by the grace of God, it never actually ends there. No, because these things that we might still struggle with, or we maybe have struggled with in the past, or maybe things that used to be most true about you and your very core being, by God's own grace, are not true of you anymore. In fact, the reason this list is so gross, so appalling to us, is because God and his love are so much greater. And if you know that, and if you know that this list does not define you and your identity anymore, you cannot help but have your affections flared up for how much God loves you. And so we run together in an open, like confessional community together free of our secrets, towards this God, in true godliness, calling sin for what it is. Not needing to sharpen the edges or be afraid of talking about sin, calling it what it is, bringing it to the surface and killing it with grace. That's like literally why we have connection groups, to do life together like that. And church, your leaders, your teachers, whoever is up on this stage or whoever is leading your connection groups or is bringing you to church or is dunking you in the tank are not exempt from that. They should lead the way in this. Not presenting to you a perfect version of themselves, but leading by their own hatred of sin, their own love of God. Test your leaders, not the show that they provide for you, not the services they give you, but in their godliness, because hard times are coming, hard times are upon us, and these times are full of sin. And if we're going to make it not ruined by this poison of sin, we don't need impressiveness. God does not need your impressiveness. God is not calling anybody on this stage to be impressive, but he wants true godliness. We must be a people who are concerned with true godliness, the kind of godliness that brings with it 
true power. Hard times will be full of sin, but the next thing we're going to see, guys, is that hard times call for true power. I'm going to start in verse 5 again and read through verse 7. These people are holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. Always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Lots of interesting stuff here. Okay, but there's something kind of we've read that's really caught my attention and this idea of power. Okay, specifically the power that comes from true godliness. And what Paul does here is he's distinguishing between like two kinds of power. Right, the power of the false teacher is very, very simple. It's cloaked with an impressive facade. Right? These men were what looking, look at this, worming their way into the houses of women and teaching them. Terrible thing to be accused of, but it's what these guys were doing. They're worming their way into the household of these women and teaching them these things. Why? Well, in this case, in this case, these specific women seemed ultra vulnerable. They were burdened with sin. They were passionate. That wasn't my phone, don't worry. And it seemed like they were even good students. Okay, they were perfect candidates for selfish men to take advantage of. And how did they do that? How did these false teachers actually make a practice of that? Well, they probably taught them a lot of really good things. Let's be real. They probably had some really good things to say. They probably talked a big game about hating their sin, maybe living in the freedom that following Jesus could give them. Probably taught 10 strategies of how to live your best life now. They stirred these women to passionately uh, pursue this form of godliness, but there's obviously a problem. Right? Verse 7 affirms that they learned plenty, but they never could come to a knowledge of the truth. Ironically, in all their show and all their facade, all the wise, quippy things they had to say, these teachers planted their flags in thin air. They had power for sure. That is not in doubt. They definitely had power. Power of persuasion. Power of impressiveness. Power of success. But they still, in all of that, missed everything. Everything being real power that comes from the knowledge of the truth, the gospel. The gospel that we just sang about. That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, rose again victoriously, is calling us home. And that when we believe in that, we are counted righteous. That is the gospel that Romans 1 describes as the power of God for salvation for all who believe. The power of God for salvation for all who believe. The true power that doesn't begin with behavior modification. Like clean up your act and then come to Veritas. Do all the right things. Be presentable and then come to God. No. Not just to clean up our outsides, but true power that starts with the inside. And it cures even the sickest and coldest of hearts. That's true power. And church, they had it all wrong. And I think we've been trained to get it wrong as well. Like just by the day and age we live in, we are trained to get this wrong as well. I think 
um, the way I thought about it was a lot of us here really like playing soccer together, like a lot of us. Like a, there's a weird amount of people who like to play soccer here, and we have a good time doing it. And you're always welcome to come. Don't just come up to me and ask. Like, you can always come. But here's my warning to you. I will know how good you are before, like as you're walking up to the soccer field. How would I do that? Well, I'm going to look at your shoes. And I'm going to know how much they cost. Because when I was in high school, I kind of just like memorized that kind of stuff. I'm going to look at your shoes. I'm like, okay, they spent this much on shoes. They must be good or they're not good. I'm going to see what kind of shorts you're wearing, what kind of haircut you do or don't have, right? And it's like, these are the things that I was trained to like, okay, that person's going to be good at this sport. This person's going to be bad. Maybe how much money they spend. Maybe their taste. Maybe they're just like the club shirt that they're wearing. Anything like that. So I have, you know, still the op- invitation's open, but I apologize in advance. Um, and you all know that's stupid. Like that is wicked and vile, obviously. It's like this idea of judging the book by its cover. We say we don't want to do that literally with books or activities we play with new friends. How much more in the church? Like not just judging one another who come in, but how about judging a teacher or somebody who is leading a church based on how shiny their performance is? Based on how eloquent their words are, how much you really liked the worship today, or how much you really uh, kind of got a kick out of what the guy was saying, and how it really cut to your heart and your fancy today, but maybe not last week and maybe not next week. The church cannot work like this. What Paul is warning Timothy and us against is actually settling for lesser power. A lesser power may be built around the truth of the gospel. Maybe it's peripheral. Maybe we even talk about the good things of the gospel once in a while but it's not built on the gospel. It seems like Paul is really throwing down on these poor women here. Like you're just kind of calling them out. But it's interesting. Because I think the description of these women, what we know about them, is scary similar to just like the general us here today. Our propensity to be drawn to success, impressiveness, to gain more and more and more knowledge, our desire to what start with our passions and then arrive and find our truth from there? What we need to be is actually the complete opposite. Guys, we, Veritas, need to start with truth. Truth that in its very words contain enough power to change a man's eternity. Truth that by its power ruins our own plans for loving ourselves and gives us God. We're utterly, completely lost without this type of power intervening in our souls. We as a church, guys, will be nothing but a facade unless this power changes us. These are hard times full of sin. And they call for true power, nothing fake. But hear me as we end say this, that hard times will soon meet their end, exclamation point. Hard times will soon meet their end. Let me finish this up by reading verse 8 and 9. Okay, these false teachers are doing these things just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. So these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress. They will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all. 
as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. Okay, who are Janus and Jambres? If I'm even pronouncing that right. If you remember, if you've read the story of Exodus or you've watched the Prince of Egypt, they were the magicians that Pharaoh had who went toe-to-toe with Moses. Janus and Jambres are Paul's illustration for just how far the power of lies can take you. What happened was Moses went to Pharaoh, right? And he asked him, let my people go. Like, let God's people go. Like, release them from this slavery. And to show him how serious he was about his demand, God worked amazing power through Moses. Right? Like, Moses would throw down his staff, and it turned into a snake, showing Pharaoh, we mean business here. But up come Janus and Jambres. And Pharaoh says, oh, you can do that? Look what I can do. And they do the exact same thing. And their staffs turn into snakes. Ironically, Moses' snake swallows theirs up, but they didn't really get the hint yet. Because Moses continued to warn Pharaoh. And he turned the water into blood, and all the fish died. And so Pharaoh brought some water out to him. And Janus and Jamrus do the exact same little trick and turn water into blood. And then Moses like, all right, we're going to keep going with this if you're sure. He strikes the water or something, and frogs come out. Frogs everywhere, all over Egypt. Terrifying scene. And they're like, oh, we got frogs. Janice and Jammers come, summon frogs. And then after that, I think that leaves eight more plagues, starting with gnats covering the entire country. Janice and Jambres were done. For some reason... They could do things like turn water into blood. They could summon frogs. Their staffs could turn into little snakes. But they couldn't summon gnats. And they couldn't do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. All the way down where God was displaying his magnificent power, they were powerless. And what Paul is affirming with this example is that false teachers do have power. But their power is no match for the power of this God. Paul draws this parallel because, yes, no sorcerer will ever be able to contend with our God. But also, to point out the sad and almost blood-boiling truth of the ramifications of false teachings. Because if you read the story of Moses, Pharaoh, and these magicians, every time that they would display their lies and their sorcery, Pharaoh's heart would get harder and harder, and colder and colder, making it even more difficult for him to ever turn to God and listen to him. Paul needs Timothy to to know today that the stakes were very, very high, that lies have eternal ramifications. They create roadblocks to the knowledge of the truth, especially in these last days. But there is great news, guys. There's great news because hard times, lies, and even sin itself all have an expiration date. Just as short-lived were the magician's power, so it will be with these false teachers. These impressive but temporary displays of power are just that, temporary. Janice and Jambres, false teachers, and the power of sin and death will, like verse 9 says, not make further progress. And for the Christian, that is the injection of courage we receive from the truth. Why? 
Because church, we have a far greater leader than a false teacher who has to worm his way in the dark into vulnerable, people, vulnerable people's households. We have a God who loved us so greatly that it actually cost him his very life. We have Jesus who though he owned the cosmos, everything was due him, he became poor on our behalf. We have Jesus who is not boastful and proud, but gruesomely humble. Jesus who obeyed the will of his father even though it took him to a cross where his holiness was not defeated but made much of, showing just how different he was from me. Counted as a sinner like me, so I could be counted righteous like him. Jesus, the embodiment of love, reconciliation, self-control, kindness, goodness, and loyalty. In short, everything this list that we have read is not Jesus is. And he rose victorious from death, inviting us us into that victory and that life forever with him starting right now this is power this is the truth this is where we find courage and hope in hard times in church we must look to jesus not to a leader or a false teacher but to jesus our big idea today like i said was this hard times are upon us but i'm telling you that with jesus this is actually not a complete enough big idea like it's an idea but it's not a big enough idea when you factor jesus in so with jesus we get this yes hard times are upon us but hope is bursting at the seams hard times are upon us they are not able to be ignored nor should they be but guys hope is bursting at the seams veritas we can't be a church that ignores sin we can't be a church that cowers at hard times, but we need to be a church instead that rehearses our hope in the midst of hard times. That's what we're doing today. That's what, that's what baptisms are all about, that we would hear these testimonies in this video from the words of these people and, and watch them display this truth that their sin was put to death under the water, under the ground with Jesus. Their sin and their death stayed there and when they're ripped out of the water, they are displaying the resurrection power that Jesus bought for them. And from them, from all of them who are going to be dunked today with me, I would just ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe this gospel, this great news, this Jesus? Praise God. Come quickly. Let's pray. God... We are a people, I am a person who is just susceptible to any flashy thing in the corner. I want my life to be impressive. I want my life to be successful. I want all these things, God. And I want to follow people who are the same way. But Lord, would you deconstruct every single thing we know here in Iowa City 2021? Would you deconstruct every single thing we know about power, about success, about the life worth living, God. And would you show us yourself? Would you show us that you are gentle and lowly in spirit, that you are near to the brokenhearted, and that you are true, and that we cannot plant our flag in thin air, but plant our flag solely on the rock of ages today. Find courage and hope bursting at the seams, Lord. You are worthy. We love you so much. Give us faith. 
Give us joy and help us worship you today. Amen.